You may be seated, and we're glad that you are with us. If you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. We're continuing our series called Getting Out of Egypt. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about how God fulfills his word, and and uh, we are glad that you are with us. And if you are a guest, once again, we're just thankful that you took time to come here to HBF today, and we do pray that you get connected. Um, and you had a, you've been uh, warmly welcomed, and you know that you're wanted. Um, you know, in, in one of the, the Christian songs that uh, there's a group called Cain, they sing in the lyrics, it says, Sometimes I wonder, is he faithful? Uh, does he see me in my trouble? Does he understand? Sometimes I question if he's able. Can he rescue me? Uh, and, of course, the answer is, can he save me? Yes, he can. And that's pretty much the course. They go on and on about saying, yes, he can. He can, he can. But, you know, sometimes we don't always believe what God says he can do. Uh, God is God and he is large and in charge, but sometimes we're not. And oftentimes we're not. And actually we're never not. He's always in charge. And, um, and so when we, when we meet Moses in Exodus chapter four, he's struggling with many of the same questions mentioned in that song. Can God really do this? Can God really, what he's saying is, can God use me to do this? And he says that he doesn't think that his brethren will believe him. Um, and what he's wanting, what God has actually commanded him and called him to communicate. He's like, well, God, you know, uh, at the beginning of chapter four, they're not going to they're not really going to receive a message from me. And of course, God says, well, yeah, they will. You know, um, he didn't really believe uh, and he was in, actually struggling with this uh, with God. You know, God, you, you really you can't use me because it's not going to work is really what he's telling God. And really, why was that? Is because he had tried and failed, right? He had tried and failed to deliver Israel on his own, and it didn't work out for him. And and so to go back and speak to his brothers, uh, he did not think was going to work because when he was a much younger man, a much stronger man, uh, probably even a much more zealous uh, man, it didn't work. But something had changed, and I believe that he was now a much more humble man. And the fact of the matter was that Moses was going to have to walk by faith just as much as the children of Israel if, if, if they were going to see God perform what God said he was going to perform. And so in our previous studies in weeks past, if you're just joining us in this study, um, we already have seen in chapter 4 in verses 1 through 9 that God will use what's in our hand, right? He'll take what's in your hand. God's not calling you to, to, you know, let go of everything in your, I mean, obviously we need to surrender all, but he just says, take what's in your hand, Moses, and surrender that to me and see what I can do with it. And of course, that was one of the great signs that he is going to use, that rod, that staff that was in Moses's hand. And so we talked about that. We also saw that God will overcome our hangups as, as he put all these roadblocks in front of God, why God just cannot use me, you know, and every one of them, God just stepped over that. To the point that as we get, you know, midway through chapter four, God's angry. I mean, you don't want to get to the point where you're making God angry. And Moses was doing that because he had so many hangups. But God overcomes our hangups. And then uh, last time we were in this chapter, we had that peculiar passage about his son, um, you know, being killed in the circumcision or Moses, depending on how you see that text. And uh, and the issue of God just all of a sudden is so hot and angry. He's ready to execute justice and judgment and we talked about how god corrects our hypocrisy specifically we saw that even when we're in the will of god you know moses was in motion going to egypt getting things in order with his family when this situation came up and, and it wasn't that he was not willing to do what god wanted it was because he was doing what god wanted that god needed to fix the hypocrisy as he was uh, not dealing with his own firstborn, right, and getting ready to take God's firstborn out of the promised land. So we saw that, and we know, we know that, that it's because God values his word. God is doing something. He is establishing this pattern, and he needs his word to be followed. So, um, And that's important so we don't destroy our home. We have to deal with our hypocrisy, do, do the word of God, do the will of God, so we don't destroy our own home. And so we can fulfill his will, which leads us right into where we're going this morning. So if you have your Bible, we're going to finish up Exodus chapter 4. And uh, if you would, I'm sorry to have you seated, but let's stand once again in honor of the Lord's word, like they did in the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to read, uh, we're going to read Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. Uh, I should say the book of Ezra. And uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 27, it says this. I'll give you a second to get there. I hear things jostling, which I get it. All right, we're settled. Like if this was football, it'd be down, set. Okay. All right, where we go. 
Some of you like football. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he, and he went and he met him in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake uh, all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you now and we worship you. Heavenly Father, we, we, we give ourselves over to your word. That is what worship is, Lord. As, as Abraham uh, took Isaac to the mount, uh, again, a picture of, of your obedience and going to the cross for us. Lord, we come to you and we acknowledge that you are God. This is your word. And Lord, you can accomplish your will. Thank you for giving your word to us so that it can flow through us and accomplish your purposes in us. And uh, not just in us, but to those in whom you have it directed. Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, build your church. Lord, I know that you will build your church. You promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that doesn't mean there are not volleys. And I pray, God, as we go through this message today, that the spirit of God would teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us, that you would encourage your saints, that you would convict your saints, that you would uh, reprove your saints, that you would exhort your saints, Lord, that we would we would come out of here much better and stronger than when we entered. We thank you, Lord, for this time to worship you. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So God, you know, the message title this morning is very simple. Uh, God fulfills his word. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, I neglected to mention this. If you had one in the guest bag or you didn't grab one, there is one in the seat rack. You can be on page uh, 85. That's where we're going to be this morning. 85, 86, I should say. Page 86 in the Bibles in the seat rack. If you're not accustomed to the Bible, we use a lot of Bible here at HBF because we believe uh, that this is God's word. It is true. You don't really want to hear from me. We want to hear from what God has to say this morning. And God fulfills his word. So this is more than a sermon title, by the way. That is my title. But there's a lot more to it than that. It is not just a sermon title. Uh, This is the thrust of the Bible you hold in your hands. The Bible opens with the power of God speaking the the world into existence. The attack that draws man into, uh, into sin was an attack on truth. A seed of doubt sown in the heart of Eve that God may not uh, be good for his word. That is exactly what the devil did. He said, hey, uh, God will not fulfill his word, uh, Eve. That is the issue. Right. He just God really didn't mean that, did he? And beloved, I tell you today, especially in the last, you know, in these last days as the Lord is preparing to come, this, this, this questioning of God's word is ultimately a questioning of God's authority and ultimately a questioning of, of, of your place in relationship to God. And this is prevalent throughout not just, uh, you know, the world, of course, and the, the flesh and the devil out there and the, you know, out there, but it is prevalent within theological conversation. So among evangelical uh, people, people that we would actually agree with on the gospel itself in many respects, then suddenly take a left or right, not a right turn, a left turn. And uh, they're off into some pragmatic uh, construct that is setting themselves up perfectly for what the devil has for them. So this is a really important issue of knowing God's will so God can fulfill his will. Satan is an expert at getting us to doubt the veracity of God's words concerning um, you know, whatever it is that he wants us to forsake for the Lord. In the case of Adam and Eve, he, he got them to doubt the, 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 the veracity of God's words concerning taking the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you boil Satan, uh, Satan's <clears throat> charge to, to Eve down, it's simply that God is not good for his word. Another way of saying that is, is his testimony is not true. If we put him on the stand, he's a liar. That's basically what Satan would have one to believe. In the court of law, of course, we give a testimony. And it's implied that the testimony is is true. You swear, literally on a Bible, uh, that your words will be true. So while men and women lie all the time, God never, I want to just understand this right now, God never lies. God does not lie. He is not a liar. He's not going to lie. He's not going to start lying. It's just not going to happen. 
And so God is not a liar. And so uh, as the scripture concludes, just before the second coming is set forth at the climax of our Bible. I mean, the, the day of the Lord, that is the that is the theme of the Bible. Everything is working to this day when Jesus returns, splits the Mount of Olives, sets everything right and establishes his kingdom. And that thousand year reign, reign begins. It's no accident that before that happens, that there is a there is a, a declaration about the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, in Psalm 119 and verse 160, the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. God's word is true from beginning, not just to end, but forever. Right? From beginning to forever. Right? God's word is true. Because there is no end. As Isaiah 6 says, right? There's no end. To, or, uh, there is no, or Isaiah 9. His government and the increase of his government, there shall be no end, right? He, God is eternal. His government's eternal. His kingdom is eternal. His word is eternal. His truth is eternal without end. So God has never and will never lie. His word is, is not only true. The things that he promises are immutable. They will not change even when we fail God. Again, the entire Bible is filled with examples of God keeping his promise and his promises and keeping his word, even when we fail over and over and over again. So as the scripture concludes, just before the second coming, as I was mentioning a moment ago, there's this great climax in the storyline in the Bible. And in Revelation 19, before we get to that great day of the Lord, it says this, as, as uh, John is, is in the third heaven and, and this angel is, is talking to him, he's all, he's all moved. He's like, it says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, of the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the testimony of Jesus, I want you to focus on that. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what in the world does that mean? And why is that important? Well, I'm glad you're asking. You're, you're asking really good questions. So the angel was, was saying to John, you know, you should not worship me, but you should worship God because his testimony is true. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, in the introduction of the book of Revelation, which is properly titled uh, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's, we call it John's Revelation because John received it, but it's really the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm not taking that from anywhere, but Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he has sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. So this is what I'm this is where I'm going with this. I might blow my testimony. You might blow your testimony. We might blow our testimony. But Jesus Christ is not going to blow his testimony. And what does that really mean? That means we make a promise, we don't keep it, we say that we're going to do something, we don't follow through, or we pretend to be something that we're not. We get back to the hypocrisy that we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Well, we struggle with that because we're all, we all got skin on. Jesus Christ had skin on, and he still didn't struggle with that. I mean, he did the right thing all the time because he is true. His word is true from beginning to end. So we may blow our testimony, but God never blows his. His word is true from the beginning uh, to eternity, and you can count on it. And that's the thing we learn from the text in Exodus chapter 4. Moses opens the chapter telling God how the children of Israel will never receive his words. And ends the chapter with the children of Israel doing the same thing that John wanted to do in Revelation 19.10. As you get to the last word that we saw there in the text, what's it say? Worshipped. The very thing that, that Moses thought was not going to happen in chapter 4 and verse 1 is the very thing that is happening when we conclude the chapter 4 in the last verse in verse 31. They are worshiping the Lord, the exact thing that needed to happen for them to have that power to be removed from the, the, the bondage of Egypt. And so you can imagine how the children of Israel felt when Moses and Aaron show up and tell them uh, <clears throat> that we have a personal message for you from God. You are no longer going to be in bondage. You are going to be free. Man, what a glorious, think about that. That is a glorious promise. You're gonna, you've been in captivity, you're in bondage, they're killing your, your boys. I mean, it's a bad situation and, and these two guys show up and they're like, hey, 
uh, God told us that to tell you that, that you're free, that we're going to take you on out of here. And here's some signs to prove it. I mean, they're so, they're so moved that it caused them to, to worship God, which really ultimately should be what is fulfilled in our life if you're born again. Right? When we realize that we're set free, that's one of the reasons we meet together on the first day of the week, right? We worship God. We're, we're, we're sanctifying our lives. We're setting them apart, saying, God, uh, tomorrow's the first day of the week, or today is the first day of the week, I should say. So it's the first day of the week. We're setting ourselves apart on the first day of the week so that we can, we're giving ourselves, we're sanctifying our time to the Lord because we're giving ourselves to Him. We're worshiping Him together. We're coming before His Word. We're believing His promises and we're going forth in faith because He has set us free. God fulfills his word through us and through Jesus Christ. But much like the children of Israel, right, we don't always feel free. I mean, we are not absent from the body and present with the Lord yet. So we're we're kind of stuck with this body. So look around at your neighbor and say, you're the body, right? You're the body. This is it. This is the body you got. And then you got this body, right, this carcass, right? And it causes you some problems and and that helps us. It helps us know that there's a promise. And even before they left the promised land, right, even when they were in uh, or left for the promised land, I should say, rather, before they left Egypt and they were still in bondage, they could worship God right where they were at. Why? Because they believed the word of God. When Moses and Aaron showed up, they believed what God said. They believed that the word of God that was given to their ancestors was going to be fulfilled. And it was not only going to be fulfilled someday, it was going to be fulfilled in them and that's how you get saved by the way when you read this bible and you realize that the the gospel the lord jesus christ wasn't just for them or that person or that person but you finally come to that realization that jesus died on the cross for your sins was buried and rose again and that message has made its way through the last couple thousand years right to the door of your heart and god is saying hey this message is for you right and that's when you put your bud down and you say whoa it's time to get a new spirit And you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, man, it rocks your world and your life becomes about worship, man. And and you just and you start following him. And that's really what we see. So it's one thing to know God's word is true in a general sense. It's another thing to realize that God, God's truth, his promises are placed upon you. You can imagine how the children of Israel felt when Moses and Aaron showed up and let them know that God has a personal message for you who are in bondage. You will be free. You'll be free. What a glorious promise. So today that promise can be claimed, of course, through the gospel. And that's the point of our study. But there's a lot of promises that God has for us as a church, right? Beyond our salvation, it's also the salvation and the edification and the discipleship and the, and the opportunity to accomplish the mission of God, uh, both here where we live and around the world, that God has given not to some other church, Although he does give it to all the churches that believe his word. But it's to this church. We've got to own that thing. So point one of your study, God fulfills his word to us. That's pretty profound. Now, it's pretty simple, I know. But it is important. God fulfills his word to us. Who is us? It's you. You know, get out the mirror. Who is us? It's me. Look in the mirror. It's you. God fulfills his word to you. Point A, God fulfills his word to the discouraged doubter. You may be a discouraged doubter even this morning. You're like, you don't, you know, some folks, uh, they come bouncing in and pepping their step, a smile from ear to ear, and they're happy, happy, happy. That's really good. We need that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But even if you kind of, kind of saunder in, you know, just kind of rolling, you kind of head down, the weight of the world's on your shoulders, and you're not feeling it, right? You ever come to church and you're not feeling it? You know, you need to come to church when you're not feeling it. Uh, because it's not really how you feel. It's not as experiential, contrary to most of American Christianity's concept of American Christianity. It's really about, will God fulfill his word? Yes, he will. Well, God's word is, is God's word to us. It is. And so God gives his word uh, to the discouraged and the, the discouraged doubter, which, of course, we saw. And I'm not going to go back and reread all of it. Uh, but in Exodus chapter four, just in verse one, it says, and Moses, after he gets all these promises from God in chapter three, I mean, they're, they're, they're ironclad. And we already preached on this. He says in verse one, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So here we have this melancholy response to one of the greatest opportunities ever in the Bible. And it's because he's a discouraged doubter. 
God has more for the discouraged doubter than uh, he is willing to believe, than the discouraged doubter is willing to believe. So God is patient with our excuses, as we saw with uh, he was with Moses in Exodus 4, 1 through 17. And God overcomes our objections. They won't believe, Moses says. And, of course, we know that God says, yeah, they will. You just have to trust me on this, Moses. And God compensates for our insecurity, right? So, so he's patient with our excuses. He, he, he overcomes our objections, and I've already preached on all that. And he compensates for our insecurities. But God, man, he can even overcome anger and disappointment, right? So, so God has, has more for the, the discouraged doubter than, than he is willing, being the discouraged doubter, is willing to believe. But God even overcomes anger and disappointment. You see, a lot of the reasons that we don't go forward is because of that. Anger, disappointment in every relationship. You know, unmet expectations are going to be one of the issues in a, any conflict in a, in a relationship when you have one expectation and then you don't, it is not met. So there's no doubt that Moses was disappointed with the things, uh, with how things worked out in Egypt. Right, slaying the Egyptian who smote one of the Hebrew brothers didn't work out the way he had imagined, and instead of speaking, you know, and starting and sparking, I should say rather, a liberation movement, he found himself on the run for his life from Pharaoh, uh, and that had to be a huge disappointment, as we've already talked about. But let me ask you, how do you handle disappointment? You know, that's one of the things you can really assess on if you're fulfilling God's word or not, because really the issue isn't are you disappointed. From God's perspective, let's just be honest. Who cares about your disappointment? What is what are we doing for the God of the universe that saved our souls? I mean, are we are we marching in step to His drum beat? I mean, what are we doing? But we're not like that. I mean, I'm not like that, and I'm your pastor, right? I get in the situations where I put myself ahead of God's will, and God's like Brian. If you get in my will, you'll get yourself straightened out. I'll get you straightened out. So God will straighten you out, right? And so, so how do we handle disappointment? Do you get angry? Maybe you, maybe you get angry with God. Are you the type that takes your, your ball and wants to go home, right? Maybe, maybe you bottle it all up, right? Get bitter and resentful, vengeful, undermining, whatever. I mean, there's unhealthy things that happen in people's hearts once they, they get to that point where they don't know how to properly handle disappointment. And so in the New Testament, Thomas faced disappointment. There's a time in Thomas's life in John 11:6, uh, as Jesus was preparing to travel to Bethany, where uh, you know there was a death warrant out for him. They were, you know, Lazarus. They had received news that Lazarus had died, and Jesus is working it with his disciples, saying, "Yeah, he he sleeps and and uh, let, you know, waits a couple days, three days, and they're like, man, what? Okay, let's go." And they're all like, "Man, he's already dead, so why why go?" And and Thomas says, "Hey." Uh, to the disciples, his name is Didymus. He says in John eleven sixteen unto his fellow disciples, "Let us go uh, that we may die with him." Like they were pretty convinced. If we head on over to uh, over to Bethany, we're going to get killed. Uh, but, but hey, let's do it. <laughs> you know, that's Thomas's. He's like, "Hey, we only live once, and we're going to live for this, man. Let's do it. We believe in this guy. There's a resurrection. Let's die. Let's see what happens. Maybe it's all going to Ezekiel's prophecy is going to be fulfilled. You know, whatever. Let's go. You know, he's he's ready. He's full of faith." And I think he's sincere. So th- this is a very committed disciple is my point. So what happens when we, we get to John chapter 20? And most of us know, of course, Thomas by his name. We all call him Doubting Thomas. Well, what happened to that, that guy that was so zealous that he's leading the disciples in, in a death march? You know, well, of course, you know what happened. He was disappointed. Things did not go the way he imagined them going. And he was he was done, right? Peter was disappointed in himself. I think Thomas was disappointed in the way things worked out with Jesus. It's like, this is not what I was envisioning for my Messiah. Like when I was reading the prophecies back there, I'm reading Joel chapter 2. I'm like, I just, I'm not seeing this Joel chapter 2 thing coming to pass here. What is this? Of course, he missed, he missed the book of Psalms there. He missed some things in the prophecy, and Jesus got that all straightened out. But not until he showed up. And received the word with the disciples. So he doesn't even want to gather with the disciples because things didn't go down the way he envisioned. And, and that, my friends, is disappointment. 
There are times that, that our balloon gets popped. No pun intended there. <laughs> so much that it makes us want to hide and retreat. So, of course, that happened to Elijah, too. Remember Elijah the prophet? You know, he comes off this rocky mountain high, slaying the prophets of Baal. I mean, come on. God is rolling. You expect, you, you think, man, we're going to get a touchdown here. We're going down. This is awesome. And then he runs into Jezebel, and she's like a buzzsaw type of false religion. And she busts his bubble and says, what? You think I'm scared of God Almighty? I'm going to kill you. And for whatever reason, he just melts. He's so freaked out, he runs and hides and says, oh, you know, it's all in not. I'm the only prophet has a pity party because his expectations weren't met. He thought the victory was his, and it was, but there were still some more battles to fight. So we all have these issues of disappointment, and, and we have different ways to respond, but often the response is in our human, at a human level is difficult. It was difficult for Moses. It's difficult for Thomas. It's difficult for, for Elijah. It's difficult for you, and it's difficult for me. And he assumes it's, it's a smooth sailing victory. Of course, Elijah did, and it, and it just, or yeah, Elijah did, and it wasn't. So, so back to Thomas. Many of you know the story of Thomas, and we need not run through the whole story. Um, uh, but we don't have to go to, to Mount Horeb or Sinai, by the way, to be encouraged. Right? We're not, we're not, we don't have to like wander for 40 years and get to the back of a, a mountain and wait for God to talk to us. I mean, that's not, no, it's much more like what happened to Thomas. That's why I'm using him as an example. All Thomas had to do is decide, even though he was reluctant, to just gather with the saints. Because the saints said, hey, listen, I'm telling you, if you gather, Jesus is showing up. I don't know why he didn't appear to you on the road to Emmaus. I don't know why he didn't appear to you, but you didn't run to the tomb, Thomas. So, you know, you're not married. You didn't get up early like Mary. So I don't know why he hadn't appeared to you, Thomas, but I'm telling you, when we gather together, he shows up, like literally shows up. Okay, well, well, except I see him, right? John 20, 25, you know. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of his nails and thrust my hand into his side, I'll not believe. Whatever. Of course, and we know how that story goes. Jesus answered that prayer. The very next week, they all gathered together with the doors shut. Jesus simply shows up in the midst of the room. Boom, there he is. Hey, Thomas, here, here I am. Stick your fingers in the in the holes of my hand thrust your hand i like that word thrust don't get come on come on buddy just thrust your thrust your hand in here and of course we know what happened thomas he does the exact same thing interestingly enough that the children of israel do in exodus chapter 4 and verse 31 he reveal, he realizes the promises of god's word right and he's like my Lord, my God. Right? He's immediately in worship mode. Why? Well, because he handled the word of God. First John talks about that. They've handled the word of God. They literally handled the word of God, literally Jesus in their presence. But beloved, today we have the same opportunity. We have the words of God. And we get discouraged and disappointed. And for some reason, instead of running to this book... And, and putting our fingers in, in the instead of thrusting our hand into the Word of God, right, and, and and going back to the promise that God has, so we can see Jesus, we end up putting the book down, closing it up, and just walking away in our own will, in our own way, and we walk away from God. The only problem is He's with you. He said it. If you're born again, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And you know you can't shake Him. But what is he needing? He needs you to, well, sometimes you got to show up to places like this so God can rattle your cage. So you will get your fingers, so you will get your hands in the word of God. For this is the will of God and it will not be fulfilled if we're not in it. Your disappointment doesn't matter. You're not going to get over your disappointment until you get an appointment with God. And all of these examples, I can go one after the next. It was all about meeting with God, meeting with God, meeting with God. There had to be an appointment with God to get over the disappointment. If you got disappointment, man, you got to have an appointment. And you got to have an appointment with God. 
And so the only way, beloved, to overcome doubt and disappointment is to run to the word of God. Get your hands and your fingers into those precious promises and watch Jesus quicken your unbelieving heart. You will want to end the meeting the same way that John did in Revelation 19.10. You see the common thread? He was looking to worship, right? Angel's like, oh, whoa, 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 don't, no, not me. I'm a fellow, sir. No, you need to worship God. Right. Worship God, John. John was so moved. He's like, I got to worship. The promises of God are true. The promises of God are true. Oh, my. I got to worship God. I got to worship God. I got to worship God. Church history records that Thomas was so encouraged. By the Lord Jesus Christ and his disappointment turned into this appointment. He eventually found his way to Kerala, India. And church history records that he died with a spear you know, thrust through him, but not until he had planted seven churches. So to this day, you can go to Kerala, and they are there's still memorials to the Apostle Thomas who planted seven churches. That's kind of like for you old folks like myself, you remember Paul Harvey, right? That's the rest of the story. I mean, it's amazing what God does when we have an appointment with him to get over our disappointment. God fulfills his word to the discouraged doubter. Point B, God fulfills his word to the disobedient as well. We've already saw that. I'm going to not tarry there. Last week we noted, or a week, two weeks ago, we noted how Moses' disobedience almost cost his uh, or his son's life. However, today, after we, we read past Exodus chapter 4 and verse 27, we, we never see God bring it up again. That message, that, that discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago, it's in the past. And I'm so thankful that God has the ability to forgive us and also forget. In Psalm 103 and verse 9, the Bible says, He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is higher uh, or high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That means they are gone. They'll never meet again. Man, isn't it good to know you're forgiven? That's what last week was all about, right? The Lord's Supper. We observed the Lord's Supper. An aspect of the Lord's Supper is acknowledging God's ability to forgive us of all, all trespass through the atonement of Jesus' blood. I mean, so there's none. I mean, if you're still not, so just think about that. If you celebrated the Lord's Supper last week and whatever you brought and dealt with, it's, it's gone. I used to work with a fella. He, he it was interesting, enlightening. Uh, one day after work, one night we were talking, and he opened his, his heart to me, and he said, "Man, Brian, my biggest problem is I, I bring things to the altar." He goes, and "Then after I get done, I pick them back up and take them with me." And when he said that, I'd never heard that before. And I thought, "Wow, man, I, I could, I, I get that." How often, sometimes we'll take and we'll, uh, and maybe literally bring something to the altar. Like literally, that's what altars are actually are for. Is to bring and lay it down and say, hey, Lord, uh, you know, I am yours and your everything else is, is, is yours. My sin included. Take it as far away as the east is from the west. The west. Lord, have my life and let it be right. And all an offering for you, Lord. Let me let me worship you. And so we lay our lives down and we give him all that sin. And then, then immediately we just sometimes just pick it back up. You just need to leave that guilt bucket there. And let God deal with it. And let God have that. Because Jesus has already paid for it. The forgiveness of God toward us should inform our forgiveness of God toward others who are repentant. Right? One of the reasons that maybe you can't forgive others is you can't forgive yourself. You can't leave your sin where it needs to be. Why is that? Are you, do you really not believe that Jesus is sufficient? It could be actually a faith problem. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You've got to believe who he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, Brian, you, got, you don't understand the depths of my sin. Hey, I'm not saying there are not issues in your flesh and habits and things that are difficult. I'm not, so don't misunderstand me. I understand that. But I'm talking about the actual issue of how sufficient is Jesus' blood atonement. I'm just telling you, it's sufficient. Period. All sin. All sin. Yeah, but, no buts, all sin. 
And don't be so arrogant as to say that you have some sin that is greater than God's goodness. Are you kidding me? That's the, that's the epitome of pride. You overestimate your wickedness. You are not more wicked than God is good. So the forgiveness of God toward us should so then inform our forgiveness of God toward others. Because when we can understand we're forgiven, then it's kind of hard. Any of you hold grudges? Grudge match. It makes for good television. And, you know, these guys in MMA, uh, a lot of these idiot sticks, you know, they're just mad because their dad beat them or something went wrong as a child. And they got this grudge in their heart and they just want to take it out on every man they can find. And so they're envisioning beating up somebody, you know. A lot of sports goes like that, too. There's something happens once Jesus comes in your heart and he saves you and he just takes those cords and gets rid of all that bitterness and hate and all that angst. And then you're free. That doesn't mean you don't, you know, you're not in an athletic contest like MMA, but you're not doing it. You're not you're not trying to work out all your aggression on some bitterness and some root of bitterness is just eating you alive. See, Jesus Christ takes care of all that stuff. And there's a lot of that stuff, and there's going to be more of that stuff as we go forward. right? There's so much confusion. There's so much uh, intentional, deceptive, satanic activity going on right now in the culture that it's so important that Christians get squared away because we got a lot of forgiveness to offer people. Right, we got to be right with God so that other people can get right with God because God is he wants to fulfill his word and he wants to bring it to us. That's the point, by the way. Right. God is he's he's wanting to bring his word to us. He'll fulfill his word to us, but he wants to get it through us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Point C. God fulfills his word to the distant, desperate and destitute. Now, this gets us in the heart of where we are in our text this morning. God draws Aaron out of Egypt to meet Moses according to his word down here in verse 27. It says, and the Lord said unto Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and he met him in the mount of God. And kissed him. So they're on Mount Horeb. I can imagine that. And these brothers are unified. And it's a beautiful sight. It's beautiful. There's a reconciliation that takes place. Whatever has been in the past is gone. And now God has these brothers on a mission. And we're not given any detail as to how God arranged Aaron's leave. Only that God said go. And Aaron was able to go. And he obeyed. I could imagine that Moses' Uh, fall from grace in the Egyptian kingdom could have had a negative impact on the Levites. Could have had a definitely a direct negative impact on Aaron and Moses or and Miriam and and the family that was left behind. I don't really know how all that went down, but Miriam and, uh, um, and, and Aaron certainly could have paid a price for Moses's um, you know zeal as a youth. I don't know that. There's nothing written about that, so I'm just speculating. I just want to let you know when I'm speculating. Nonetheless, we see there's no reservation in the record of Aaron's response. If that was the case, there's no there's no bitterness. There's nothing. Whenever he hears he's going to see his brother, God says, go. Aaron apparently went. We don't have any drama. We don't have anything recorded. If there was drama, we don't know about it. Um, So Aaron goes. And this passage is a fulfillment of what God had already spoke to Moses in Exodus 4.14. Right. Just to refresh, if you look back over in Exodus four and verse 14, it says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron, the Levite, thy brother? And then God kind of kind of snarky with Aaron says or with Moses says, I know he can speak well. Like, Moses, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Like, I told you to speak because I can make you speak. But whatever, I'll use I'll go ahead and use Aaron. Um, And also, he says this to him, behold, like get a hold of this. He cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he'll be glad in his heart. So get a hold of this. I already knew where you're at, Moses, so I already I sent word he needs to come on over. Behold, he's coming to meet you now. Because I'm sure it was quite a trek to get out of Egypt to get his way back into, up to Sinai. So God set Aaron at liberty so he could serve God. This is the same reason, by the way, we've been set at liberty. God has set us at liberty so we can serve God. In Galatians 5, Paul wrote to the Galatians who were getting bogged down with with extra biblical information that did not apply to their dispensation. And so he says in Galatians 5.13, For brethren, brethren, right, talking to his brothers, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. So we're at liberty, man. We're free like Aaron to serve the Lord. And, and that's our job is to serve one another, right? Serve our brother. Aaron is happy to be free and to get out of Egypt, not only to serve his brother Moses, but then he's going to turn right around and go back and help free uh, the people, his own brethren, the nation of Israel. He's going to be an integral part of that. So we can fulfill the Great Commission because God is good for his word. God spoke it in Exodus 4.14. It's happening in Exodus 4.27 because, because God is good for his word. God does what he says. His testimony is true. Go ye therefore has power in it. Why does it have power? Because God has commanded us. He's commanded us to go. Go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all way, even until the end of the world. If you have any question about what dispensation this is, it's yours. I'm with you. Go, 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 go. We're to go as well. One of the reasons we don't go is we get bound to the world. I like the, I like the way Aaron, when God gave him liberty. We're not told how, he just did. You know why? Because we make excuses. The reality is we can serve God if we want to. I've had dear elderly ladies in our church that are homebound, find ways to serve God through praying, writing letters. They don't make excuses. They find ways. And their life is difficult. And But God does that. Why? Because they, they take go literally. And God frees them to do that. God will deliver the child, ch- children of Israel uh, after these men are delivered. And, of course, you cannot deliver others until you've been delivered yourself. So when we lead someone to Christ, what we're really leading them out of is the bondage of sin and death. But you can only do that if you've been let out of the bondage of sin and death. Now, of course, God can use any instrument. He can use Balaam's ass to get a message across. So, and Paul said that. Why they preach the gospel? I don't really care. Just let them preach the gospel because the, the power of God comes through the gospel message in of itself. But practically speaking, you can't make disciples unless you are a disciple. You can't teach someone how to follow Jesus if you don't follow Jesus. There's lots of Christians in America. They can tell you lots of information about Jesus. But if you really just like, okay, are you following Jesus? Are you obeying the New Testament commands? Have you obeyed in believer's baptism? Have you observed the Lord's Supper? Are you part of a called out assembly? Do you meet on the first day of the week as commanded by the Lord? Hebrews chapter 10, 25. Are you, are you, are you actively engaged in pushing the, the, the mission forward? Are you engaged in the, learning the word of God, knowing the word of God, stewarding the mysteries of the, Lord, of the New Testament? A lot, of, a lot of Christians are just simply not. They go to church. That's it. They learn information. No application, no transformation, no advancing of the, the mission of God to the people that God has, wants to see free. So notice that Aaron was so happy to see Moses. He kissed him. And God told Moses that Aaron would be glad in his heart, as I mentioned in verse 14. In Exodus 4.28, the text says that Moses and Aaron, they met on Mount Horeb, and he kissed Moses because he was so glad in his heart to see his, his little brother. I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful picture there. Just a, a Philadelphian relationship. There, there's also a picture here. Um, and I, I wasn't even, I was telling Amy, I wasn't going to mention this, but I'll just, for those of you that are maybe studying a little deeper in the Bible, there's also a, a picture here of the coming tribulation. I'm just going to just gloss over this, but, uh, you, <clears throat> there'll be in the future, in the tribulation, there'll be two witnesses, uh, coming uh, in the coming tribulation that'll preach in the face of the Antichrist for 1,260 days and then be killed. And resurrect in front of everybody, and the and the world will wonder. But I believe one of those two witnesses will be Moses, and uh, what we have, and he'll have the same power then that he has that he has here in Exodus to do these signs and, and wonders. Uh, and so in this text, we see Aaron meet him on Mount Horeb, and Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, which is also the location where Elijah fled. I mentioned Elijah earlier earlier when Jezebel, who is a type of the Antichrist whorish bride, threatened his life. And so it was on Mount Horeb that Moses, who is a steward of the law, and Aaron, who is a steward of the Levitical priesthood, they kissed. They came together, the law and the priesthood. And in the coming tribulation, I would not be surprised if Moses and Elijah don't meet with Jesus himself, as Jesus is the high priest, right? Now the priesthood is in his hands. He fulfilled the law, and he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So uh, their charge is to go, will be the two witnesses to go back in. And, um, and of course, 
free the nation of Israel from the influence through their preaching of the of the Antichrist. And it will be quite a battle as 144,000 Jewish um, uh, male virgins also rise up in that effort. So it'll be quite a thing. But it's interesting as, as also Paul, the apostle Paul resorted to Arabia, he said in Galatians to uh, you know, received the, the, the words of God that God had for him for this dispensation. So it's an interesting situation there, just something that you guys can study further. Uh, but but boiling it back down, point D, God fulfills his word in miraculous detail. That's, that's the thing that we need to really grasp. God fulfills his word in miraculous detail. I mean, it's crazy how specific the Bible is. Many naysayers, I had a, a really bright young man there was a member of this church, and some he got some wind of doctrine, and um, all of a sudden he's like, "I'm an atheist." And how do you know the Bible's true? He all of a sudden had all these doubt, all this stuff I'm talking about, where, where Satan rocks your mind. Um, if you were here Wednesday night, I talked about when I was a young Christian how I was kind of put on my heels for a few minutes. Uh, you know, you get into some winds of doctrine; they can mess you up if you don't really have a, a, a true, uh, literal view of the Bible. Man, you got to believe God's word is true, and He's a rewarder them that diligently seek Him. Give God's word the benefit of the doubt. He will prove to you through the word of God that his word is true. It's amazing. It's so detailed. It's so specific. But one of the things I told this kid, because he was just giving me a bunch of straw arguments that really weren't even sensical. Um, I just said, well, hey, whatever. Let me just ask you a few questions. What do you think about all the prophecies of Daniel that were fulfilled? I mean, isn't that just miraculous? I mean, we, we can talk about high, hypothetical situations and but, I mean, when you just look at, like, human history, like, what about Israel becoming a nation? And what about Israel, uh, what about everything that Daniel prophesied that came to pass? Even even before the first coming. I'm not even talking about what he's prophesied that's yet to come to pass. I mean, to the date. What about Jesus' crucifixion? I mean, all those things are laid out in the Bible, specifically, day by day. I mean, it's it's accurate. Of course, if you don't want to believe the Bible... You don't have to believe the Bible. But if you want to take the time, God's word, it's fulfilled in miraculous. I'm not not using the word miraculous like to just emphasize a point. I mean, it is miraculous detail. There is no way in the world this book was put together by human authors. And And it is a little offensive to me when people say stupid things like that. And you know they haven't read the Bible because they don't know what they're talking about. There's If you've read the Bible with any common sense from cover to cover and this has been proven by intellects throughout centuries i i I have statistics on a fellow robert lucknow who was one of those guys many years ago probably in the 50s or whatever that went to prove the bible wrong and became an apologist for the bible and ended up becoming one of the biggest proponents that happens all the time lee strobel you know it just happens all the time why because thinking people read this book and they know wow that's miraculous it's fulfilled in miraculous detail don't unhitch from the Old Testament, by the way. You need that Old Testament, man, because it shows you the miraculous power of God to fulfill his word because Jesus fulfilled it. What is it? The Old Testament, man. It's all wrapped up in him. You want to see what that present is? Open it up and look at it, and you will be blown away by all the types and all the details. It is miraculous. All right, I better quit preaching to get to teaching a little more. So this, this, this plan to redeem Israel from Egypt, it didn't just sneak up on God. He'd been prophesying it from generation to generation for centuries. First, he gave it to Abraham in the land grant, Genesis 15:18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto to, to thy seed have I given this land from the river Euphrates under the great river, the river, I'm sorry, the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Beloved, if, if I if I grab that passage and roll it up into into the United Nations today and th- flop that down on the table, I'd start a world war. I mean, they're, they're, they're fighting over little bitty slivers of Israel. If you go to Abraham's promise, it's from the Nile to the Euphrates. I mean, that's, that's a big land swath there. It's a lot bigger than what they're arguing over right now. Then he, then he shared the same information with Isaac, which was dwelling in the land of the Philistines at the time. And, and in Genesis 26 too, this is what God says. And the Lord appeared unto him, right? He had an appointment and uh, appeared unto him and said, go, there's that word go, go not down to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee, 
Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed will I give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and I and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now Isaac is he's not even prolific. He doesn't have a bunch of children. And yet God's laying all this info. Abraham was infertile. Right? They didn't even have their own children. And God's saying, hey, by the way, you're going to be a mighty nation. You know, they t- you know the story. So they took matters in their own hands. They were just like, how is God going to do this? God fulfills his word even when it seems impossible. So he, he lays that down on Isaac. And then, and then he goes further in Genesis 35. He tells Jacob in verse 9, he says, God appeared unto Jacob again. And when he came out of... Uh, Paid Naram and blessed him, and God said unto him, Thy thy name is Jacob, right? He changed his name, you're a prince with God. Thy name shall not no longer be called um, Jacob, but Israel, Israel's his new name, shall be thy name, and, he, and his name is called Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Where we've heard that before. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and the kings shall come out of thy loins, and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac. To thee I will give it, and thy seed after thee will I give this land. And God went up from him in that place where he talked with him. And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereupon and poured oil thereupon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake to him Bethel, which we know means house of God. And God never backed off his promise to establish Israel in the promised land, even when Joseph was ruling in Egypt. So Jacob... Uh, comes down to the promised land in Genesis 48:21. It says, "Israel, which is now Jacob's name, said unto Joseph his son, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you unto the land of your fathers." He's like, "You're not staying down here in Egypt." Jacob didn't want to go to Egypt. Israel didn't want to go to Egypt. Why? Because Israel knew he believed what God said. He believed his promises. He said, "God told me this is where we're going to be, and that's where we're going to be." J- Joseph. I know you're ruling the show here, but don't 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 get used to it. You're going to be out of here. So how did Joseph respond? In obedience. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph took that promise to the grave as well. And, and he said unto his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto a land which he swore to Abraham. So Isaac or to Isaac and to Jacob. So Joseph's faith in God's word is mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Because Joseph, kind of like us, was pretty comfy in the world that he was living in. I mean, it wasn't a thing that he was like, you know, it was going pretty good for Joseph being second in the kingdom. But yet upon his deathbed, he's like, hey, guys, pack your bags and get ready to leave because God's bringing us up on out of here. And by the way, I don't want my bones to be left here. Take me back to the promised land. Because there's nothing in Egypt for us. Beloved, there's nothing in Egypt for us. We are free from this place. It's just a matter of time before God blows the trump, man, and we are out of here. And, beloved, and if it doesn't happen today, it may happen tomorrow. And if you die today, you're going to go to heaven anyway. But, I mean, you're going to get out of this place. This is not our home. Hebrews 11, verse 22, the Bible says, By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. God says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that believe my word, that know I will fulfill my word. Even when everything looks like it's not going to happen, I will do what I say I'm going to do. Why? Because I have this, my, my testimony is the spirit of prophecy. When I say it's going to happen in Genesis chapter one, it's going to be fulfilled in Revelation. And it isn't just in time. It's going to go on for eternity. God's word is true, beloved. We've got to get our head and our heart around that thing because the devil wants to yank it out of your hands. I guarantee you that he wants to take it out of your head. He wants to take it out of your heart so he can confuse you and put you back into bondage. Moses believed God's promises just as his forefathers. And the hard thing for Moses to digest by the time we get to Exodus chapter 4 is that God would fulfill his word through him. It wasn't that Moses didn't believe that God would fulfill his word. It said that God would take and use Moses to do that. And beloved, if I can communicate anything today, I want you to know this book isn't for Brian Hedges. It isn't for some preacher guy. This book is for you. What puts the devil to flight, what puts him to fear is when every common man and every common woman gets a hold of this book and it sinks down into their heart. And you've got an IQ, you've got eyeballs, you've got a brain. You can study this book. 
It is what makes you free, but it is also what God uses in you to get other people free. And don't go to sleep on God. Don't go to bed. Don't don't let the devices. I got two of them laying up around the pulpit. Don't let the devices distract you from the heart of God's promises. Because it will it'll man, the truth will make you free. It will set you free, but it will also not just come to you. It goes through you. It ain't enough to come to me. It's got to go to you and it's got to go through us. At some point, we have to believe God can work through us to fulfill his words just as much as anyone else or generations. Listen to me. Generations will be lost. Who's the 20 year old that's going to take on that generation? I remember when I was 24 years old going down I-35 wondering what would happen if my pastors died in a wreck or some sin came befell our church and the church died, you know, an, an Adam a bomb hit it or something. You know, I don't know. At the time, at 24 years old, I could barely imagine that happening. Beloved, I'm 52 years old and that the church I came out of, it doesn't even resemble where I came from. One of the pastors blown up in sin. Everything I was concerned about kind of came to pass in some different ways. What I'm saying, guys, is this isn't always it may not always be here. I don't know what needs to happen is the word of God needs to get in the hearts of people that take it seriously. And young men and young women and old men and old women got to get this Bible in their heart. And they had to transfer it to other people. That is the essence of discipleship. And it's got to get to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And it only comes faith to faith. It came to Abraham, it came to Isaac, it came to Jacob, it came to Joseph, it came to Moses. And Moses is like, oh, not me, Lord. And God's like, yes, you, Moses. Put your name in the blank. If you're not me, Lord, then you need to put your name. That, that's exactly who God's calling today. Yes, you. Yes, you. We need you. We need you in the nursery. I need you in the children's wing. We need you. We need you on the soccer field. We need you in the Bible publishing. We need you. We need you. We need you. No, you're not that important. I'm not that important. But God still needs us. And he wants us. Not because of our righteousness, but because of his. I'm going to finish this. God fulfills his word to us, but he also fulfills his word through us. I've already set this up so we can go quick. This this is the purpose of God's fulfilling his word to us. It's in that he might fulfill the word through us. Are you ready for that to occur today? Notice once Moses got on board how he framed the call of God to his father-in-law in Exodus 4.18. He said, hey, hey, Jethro. He goes to his father-in-law in verse 18. He says unto him, let me go. I pray thee. We already covered this in a previous message and return to my brethren, which are in Egypt. To see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said unto Moses, go in peace. Go, go. And Moses never lost his heart for his brothers. He called his brethren. He called them brethren in Exodus 2.11. And he attempts to advocate for them. In Hebrews 11.24-27, Moses chose to identify with his brethren. And take the lumps that came with it. Beloved, beloved if you really want to see the, the, the word of God fulfilled through you. You got to go all in on your identity with the body of Christ. I'm teaching on that on Wednesday night right now. You just got to take a deeper dive. Come out of the closet. And you just got to come out of the closet and you got to say, I'm, I'm riding with Jesus. You're going to take lumps today. If you're riding with Jesus, you're going to take some lumps, but you got to take them. Like the old hymn goes, I've decided to follow Jesus. Right? I have decided to follow Jesus. I, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though no go with me, right? No one goes with me, yet I'll follow. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. Right? No turning back. No turning back. God fulfills his word through us to reconcile our brother. Beautiful picture there. Aaron the brother that Moses had been separated from for 40 years. The one that he probably had some distance from because he was in Pharaoh's house and, and his brother was a Levite. Is now reconciled to him on Mount Horeb and they kiss. In the most pure sense, of course. Just like they do in the Middle East. God gave Moses his brother. We know what it is, don't we, church, to pray for a brother or a sister. That's a strange, it's not with us. 
Maybe they're in sin. Maybe they're in the world and we're praying, God, bring them home. We should rejoice when God allows us to reconcile with our brothers. There's nothing better than fulfilling the mission of God to bring brothers in Christ together. For all eternity, God will communicate the joy of brotherly unity through the anointing of Aaron and the priesthood on Mount Horeb, there where they kissed. Of course, he mentions um, in Psalms 133, he mentions Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in uh, Israel. It's actually in Syria, but that's part of their inheritance. And so uh, you can see everything from there, right? It says in Psalm 133, one, Behold, how good and pleasant is it for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord God, or the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. Man, there's something special about this unity. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's like what we see in Revelation chapter 3. There's something when there's brotherly love. Uh, Paul said, or not Paul, I think it was, I think it's uh, Peter, but let brotherly love continue. The brotherly love continue, right? There's something Philadelphia, and when you have brotherly love, man, that, that will get the mission accomplished. God fulfills his word through us to reconcile our brethren, not just our brother, but our brethren. We saw verse 18, of course, that's what, that's what he asked for of Jethro. I, would you let me go to my brethren, not just my brother Aaron, I want to go to my brethren. And jo, uh, Jethro said, sure. In verse 29, it says, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. This would be the 70 who are noted in Genesis 46, 27. Uh, there were 70 descendants from the 12 brothers that entered the land. And so those were accounted for in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 27. So I presume there's still, obviously, those, those ranks are still there. They, by the way, they kept their family unity through all that persecution. And so here they enter in and they get these 70 elders together and they, they talk to these 70 elders. In Exodus 24, 1, it says, when, it says Moses, <clears throat> uh, come up unto the Lord, and thou Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. From that time forward, you know, Jethro told him to appoint elders, uh, and that was he used 70 elders. So all of that was kind of established even before the exodus, the, the family structure there. But I say all that just to say this. Before they went to everybody else in, the, in their family, they went to the elders. Right? They honored the authority structure of the family. Moses and Aaron revealed the signs to the elders of the nation of Israel, according to Exodus 4.28, because Jews require a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, according to 1 Corinthians 1.22. Later in Exodus 4.30, he spoke the same words and revealed the signs uh, to everybody, in the, in the, that all the brethren. So they basically repeated that. But first they went to the elders. I'm going somewhere, so hang with me. I'm just about done. If you want to reach a family... This is really where I'm going with this. You've got to reach the fathers. You've got to reach the men. Now, that sounds chauvinistic and misogynistic, and I can't say that today. It's still nevertheless the truth. Galatians 2, when Paul goes into Galatia in the 14th year, <clears throat> years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, he says, and he took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which are of reputation, Thus, by any means, I should run or had run in vain. Paul understood this. He used the same model that Moses was using. And when he had this, heavy me- this, this message of deliverance to deliver to the people in Jerusalem, his brethren in Israel, before he just went and preached it to everybody on the streets, he went and he grabbed the elders. And he said, hey, elders, let me talk to you. God's got a message for us. Man, I just want to invite you. God's got a message for us. We have men's meetings for a reason. At those men's meetings, we talk about things like King's Mighty Warriors for a reason. We have men's breakfast for a reason. Why? Because we need the men to respond. As the men goes, go, so should the family go. doesn't always happen because sometimes, well, we've got issues on the other side too at times. So, uh, so we all got to be following God together, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. But it's important to work with the men. You even see that structure. When God's going to deliver Israel, what's he do? He says, hey, let's get the elders on board. And then we'll get everybody else on board. What does that also mean for a church body? You know what? If there's any movement, sometimes the elders aren't going to get it done, but the elders need to be for it. One of the blessings of this church when we started, I had a lot of older folks, and they never tied my hands. A lot of the songs that we sang, a lot of the things that we did, really wasn't their cup of tea. It really wasn't. But they believed that I believed the book. And I wasn't going to deviate. 
And, and by God's grace, I pray I haven't and I won't. But the point is this. You've you got to give the next generation a blessing. And you've got to let them go. But you've got to get them grounded in the book, grounded in the word of God. Because if you don't honor authority, they're not going to honor authority. So we're endeavoring to reach families by taking fathers out with their sons April 14th and 15th. And we call that King's Mighty Men. Some of you dads, I'm just telling you, you need to be there. If you've got young kids, especially some of us guys, maybe need to be surrogate dads. If they're single moms that don't have a father figure, well, we can jump in and help. But we need, to, we need to take this next generation. We need to invest in them and let them know that we're on mission. We're going somewhere with God. And it starts with us. So point C, we've got to be done. God fulfills his word through us to reconcile our bride. Now, I'm not going to tarry here, but next is chapter 18. Later on, we'll get to this. Moses' father-in-law brings his wife. And at that passage, you can read it later or maybe on the screen, Exodus 18, verses 1 through 3. You see that, that, that after they've already delivered the nation of Israel, uh, his, his wife, Jethro, brings his wife and kids to him, and they're reconciled. And it's so important that we, we have the whole family together. God restored the fellowship of Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he fulfilled the mission of delivering his brethren out of the bondage of Egypt. While it may not seem ideal to place the mission ahead of your family, the truth is, is the will of God is, is not uh, first in the life of a man. If it's not first in the life of a man, listen to me, man, you'll lose your family. The real reason there was even friction is because Moses hadn't done a good job of leading Zipporah in the way she should go. And that's evident. And he didn't take care of business at home for whatever reasons, and it caused problems. Man, you've got you've to make sure that you understand God fulfills his promises, not just for the Great Commission, not just for the, what God has in store for the kingdom and the church and all the prophecies and all of that, but listen to me. He fulfills his word for your family. And when you boil down the big picture promises of the Bible, they originate with promises to a family. They originate with the family. And God reconciles families. He can reconcile relationships with, their, with your brother, and he can reconcile relationships with your family. And God is big, and he can get it done because he fulfills his word. God has given us the word and the ministry of reconciliation, according to 2 Corinthians five eighteen and 19. And it is our job, men and ladies and church, to understand that this word is fulfilled. It's coming to us, and it needs to go through us. So as we conclude this morning in Exodus 4, it ends exactly the opposite way that Moses expected it to. Nonetheless, God fulfilled his word to Israel through Moses. And that this morning, maybe you're in a situation where the story needs to change. You're kind of negative, Nancy. You're half empty. You're down, discouraged. And really what you need is not to be disappointed, but to have an appointment with God. So you can understand that God will fulfill his promises. Maybe not in your time, maybe not in the way that you want it, but God is good for his word. Amen? I mean, let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the, the word of God and the will of God.